Well, good evening, Redeemer. Very glad that you've joined us here for this time of worship. And uh, if you are visiting with us, uh, we want to give you a very special welcome and hope that you can uh, meet a few people afterwards and just hang out for a little bit and introduce yourself so we can know you. Uh, we uh, hope to connect with uh, whoever is here and uh, just make you feel at home. The, uh, some of the announcements that we have uh, before we begin, I just want to remind all of the middle school students that we have a youth group right after our evening service tonight and uh, high school next week. And then uh, next Sunday evening, uh, we have our celebration of the Lord's Supper, so not in the morning, but next Sunday evening uh, when we'll be celebrating that. And then also next week is, is the beginning of our March for Missions, and so you have uh, in your box, uh, mailbox, the uh, prayer uh, list for your five-minute prayer challenge, and uh, there's uh, just a wonderful opportunity that we have as a church to engage in uh, prayer for all of our missionaries and for a variety of other things, uh, just to see God's kingdom advanced. And so hope that you can be a part of that, making that a regular practice uh, during the month of March. And then also, just a reminder, uh, Pastor Jeff and uh, Karen are gone until uh, Wednesday, so if you have any particular pastoral needs, uh, feel free to call me or Pastor Dan or your shepherding elder, and I uh, would love to be helpful in that way. So let's take this moment, we'll prepare our hearts as we come before our God. you delight in God's Word. Psalm 119 is all about delighting in God's Word. Our call to worship uh, is from that psalm. I would encourage you to uh, go home and uh, finish reading it. And uh, when you're done tomorrow, um, you'll be able to uh, see the great joy uh, of that wonderful longest chapter in the Bible. It's uh, all about delighting in God's Word. So the psalmist says to us, beginning in verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Well, let us lift high the name of Jesus as we stand together.
Most gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come because we want to see uh, your glory displayed in all of creation, displayed throughout our lives. And as you are at work uh, in us by the power of your word, shaping and molding us uh, more and more into the image of Christ, Lord, we are grateful that we have this time set apart uh, by you, that we might reflect on things that have occurred uh, millennia ago, and yet uh, reminding us that you are our God of help in ages past, just as you are today. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Tonight, our mission focus is on the Potter's House, providing Christ-centered education for students of all ethnic backgrounds and all income levels for over 40 years. The heart of the Potter's House is discipleship, asking each student and staff member to encounter Jesus and become like him. So join with me in prayer for the Potter's House. O oh, Father in heaven, you have indeed been our dwelling place for a thousand generations, and you have been our hope for the years to come. Under the shadow of your providence, your saints have lived securely, and we bless you for your sovereign care and your powerful reign over your kingdom. We join this evening, Lord, in prayer for your kingdom's work through the Potter's House, where your servants have faithfully labored to share your good news and to love others unconditionally. And we would see your will done on earth through the mission of this school. We lift the teachers, the administration, other staff members, volunteers, and students especially to you, asking your spirit to continue to form close and Christ-like relationships among them, making their community a vibrant witness to the transforming power of your gospel. 
We pray specifically for students laboring this spring semester that they would find joy, satisfaction, and wonder as they depend on you and not their own strength in pursuit of their studies and relationships. Open their minds and their hearts as they study your word and your world and grant them wisdom beyond their years. Lord, we thank you for the many partners, supporters, volunteers, and others you've raised up to further the Potter's House mission. We pray for their preparation for the annual Spring Gala, that the logistics will fall in place smoothly, that the planning team will work well together, that your spirit will move individuals and organizations to participate in the gala and support the event generously. Lord, we pray you continue to raise up partners to engage with individual students, both financially and personally, showing your love in tangible and relational ways. Bless those who give of themselves as partners, that they may share in the satisfaction and glory of giving sacrificially. Lord, you call each one of us to follow you and disciple others. So please give wisdom and grace to the leaders and staff and students of the Potter's House to pursue eagerly the discipleship opportunities that reflect Jesus as they grow in faith and knowledge of him. Finally, Lord, deliver them from the evil one and be their guard and sure defense against troubles and temptations, bringing glory to your name as they magnify you. These requests, Lord, we bring to you, trusting your mighty hands to order all according to your will. In the name of our Lord, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
This evening I've chosen two verses I'd like to begin with. These verses were chosen uh, as a way of kind of dovetailing with uh, Dan's message this evening. Dan will be speaking about the consequences of uh, unchecked jealousy and sin in the first two brothers of the first family of mankind. So this verse reads, and these are both from uh, the, the book of Romans. There's no, no, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good, no, not one. And then the Apostle Paul recognized uh, kind of a universal fallen nature of mankind. He says, I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law on my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into a captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Please join me in the end of prayer of thanksgiving. Father, we live in tumultuous times. It seems that every time I turn on the news that there's uh, another uh, tale of tragedy, whether it's uh, uh, a war crime being performed in Ukraine, whether it's uh, another mass murder that takes place in the schools or in, uh, in the malls or in churches. It seems that wherever people are gathered, that there's opportunity for those that try to inflict pain and suffering on our society. Lord, we're seeing the results of, of a society that's turned its back against God. Lord, we see the results of those that will not seek truth, that will not seek uh, to honor God. It seems that the world is, uh, is totally corrupt and trying to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We see that taking place, Lord, in... Uh, in the halls of, uh, of universities, in the halls of government. Uh, we see it in the media and the entertainments that we uh, watch. It seems that the whole world is, has a death wish, and we see everyone affected by it. But, Lord, we know that you are in sovereign control over all of the affairs of man. We thank you, Father, that you have appointed your Son as the, the prophet, priest, and king that can deliver us, Lord, from uh, the terrors that we face every day. Lord, I ask that you would remind us, God, that we belong to you, and that because of your uh, imparted, imputed righteousness of Christ into our lives, and through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord God, that we have hope, a great hope, as well as great joy in knowing that in one day soon, that every knee shall bow to the Lordship of our Lord and Savior Jesus whether it's uh, kneeling, the, kneeling the, the knee to a time of great rejoicing or great dread. We thank you, God, that our Savior is coming soon and that, Lord, we will all rejoice at his return. Lord, we ask that you exalt yourself through the service this evening. We thank you, Father, for the, uh, the offering that we have this evening. We ask, God, that you would help us to be good stewards over the things that you entrust to us. We thank you for the gifts that you give us, uh, whether monetarily or spiritual. We thank you and ask you that, that we be good stewards of these things. I pray for Dan tonight, too, as he uh, comes forth to share his message. 
Please help him to rightly divine, divide the word of God and instruct us, Lord, in how we can honor and praise you. We ask these things to your name and to the glory of our son, Jesus. Amen. If you would, turn with me in your copies of Scripture to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to appear on the screen in front of you. There should also, I believe there's some Bibles in the, the pew uh, in front of you. I want to take a, just a brief moment of personal privilege and say... Um, it has been my joy now to uh, be preaching God's Word uh, for the past five years. Uh, February 23rd was sort of ordination anniversary, and this is uh, the first sermon I preached for, uh, for Redeemer five years ago. Uh, it was this last weekend of, of February was my first uh, as one of your pastors, and it has just been a great joy to open God's Word. I hope that my ministry has not been 
anything too noteworthy, uh, but I hope that my preaching has continued uh, to point you to the great and surpassing worthiness of our Savior Jesus. So we're going to be continuing our series tonight, uh, looking at texts inspired by the Westminster Shorter Catechism. So I'm going to read now uh, from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, uh, and then I'm going to read uh, question and answer uh, 17 and 18. Uh, They really uh, go together at this point. So uh, hear now the word of our God. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field... Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So far, the reading of God's Word. Here now question 17 and question 18 from the Shorter Catechism. Into what estate did the fall bring mankind? The fall brought mankind into an estate of sin and misery. Wherein consists the sinfulness of that estate whereinto man fell? The sinfulness of that estate whereinto man fell consists in the guilt of Adam's first sin, the want of original righteousness, and the corruption of his whole nature, which is commonly called original sin, together with all actual transgressions which proceed from it. Let's go to our God now and ask his help in our time. Our Lord and our God, As we approach your word, we confess that we need your guidance and your help. Lord, in our hearts exists darkness, darkness that hates the light. Lord, but we we do ask that by your spirit, that you would take your word by your spirit and, and shine your light into our hearts, that we might see the face of Christ more clearly, even as we meditate upon sin. Lord, that we would leave this place hopeful and rejoicing that we have a kind and merciful Savior. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, it was 17 years ago that I was 17, so kind of halfway point in my life. And if you would have met me when I was 17, as my last year of high school, you would have thought, that's a pretty good kid. I was basically an A-B student. I played on the tennis team. I was, had been a Boy Scout. I, I didn't cuss. I didn't drink. I didn't smoke. I didn't chew. You need to clarify. I didn't chew either. I didn't sleep around. I wasn't a partier. Didn't have any speeding tickets. No parking tickets. No accidents. It's a pretty good kid. It was all right. And yet it was when I was 17 that God showed me I wasn't good enough. I hadn't been good enough. What I thought were, what I thought well, I was basically a, a good kid. I, I had shown to me that I was a sinner. I was a sinner through and through. I was rotten to the core. So far in our series, in the evening, we have been talking about sin. What is sin? It's a failure to do the things that God calls us to do or, or doing those things that he's told us not to do. We've looked at that sin is a problem for every person. Because Adam sinned, we all fell with him. That's what Pastor Jeff preached on last Sunday. And tonight we, we start sort of a mini-series in the Shorter Catechism. They didn't know mini-series whenever they wrote this, but that's what this is. This week and next week is meant to answer the question, what does it mean to be human after the fall? What does it look like for, for us to be a, a human after Adam's fall? And the answer we see in question 17 is that we are sinful and miserable. We are sinners and we are miserable. And tonight I'm taking up the topic of what it means to be a sinner, what it means to be sinful and for those of you who grew up in the church, you need this message just as much as I did when I was 17. And for those of you who are maybe not Christians or still interested in the faith, or maybe you had a friend bring you here, or maybe you're watching online and somebody shared this with you, and you're not so sure, you need to know what it means to be a sinner as well. Because there's a lot of misconceptions about what it means to be a sinner. And the, the biggest one, the one that we fall into from a cultural perspective, but also we can start to believe in the church, is that being a sinner is first about being immoral. We believe that, that being a sinner is, is something to do with morality. A sinner is somebody who kills, who steals. Someone who does wrong. And certainly being a sinner does have that meaning. I don't want to invalidate that. But being a sinner is first and foremost about worship. Being a sinner is about your relationship to God. That was the thing that I realized 17 years ago. 
And I think it's, it's actually the main point of the passage tonight. Many people know the story of Cain and Abel, even if you didn't grow up in the church. I certainly knew it. Hadn't been to church since I was four from the time until the time I was 17. Yet I knew of Cain and Abel. And I thought the point of the story was that Cain killed Abel. That definitely happened. But that is not the full intention of the story. What we'll see tonight as we read through this account and we focus in on the details, what we'll notice is that sin is first a matter of worship before it's a matter of morality. I'm going to prove that tonight as we look through in, in two ways. First, starting with Cain's worship and then looking at God's warning. We're not going to be looking at every single verse. We're mainly going to be starting with verse 2 and ending with verse 7. So let's look first at Cain's worship. We see that starting in verse 2. We read, And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. Our story starts out with a little bit of background information to understand. It, it actually connects back to the previous story, which is Adam and Eve being exiled from the garden. This is, this is close on the heels of that story. They are, they are now outside of the garden. And the question that we should have as we're reading this story is, what is going to happen now? Is, is, is everything all right or has something gone horribly wrong? Moses helps us answer that question by focusing in. And, and he explains a little bit more about, about who Cain and Abel are. Cain is the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. And, and as you see, it says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Cain's name means uh, to acquire or to get. Then we also see Abel, and his name means, uh, it's close to the word for vanity or vapor, short-lived. These two brothers, Cain and Abel, end up going into two different professions. One is a keeper of sheep. He's a shepherd, and then we see that Cain is a worker of the ground. It, it's likely he's a, he's, a far, he's a farmer. So we see these, these two brothers, different professions. And then Moses sets before us the, the monumental event. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. It's time for worship. And in this time, worship included bringing an offering. This word for offering is the same word for tribute. A tribute a lesser might bring to a greater. They're coming to acknowledge the greatness of God. It's God who had given them life. God had given Cain to Adam and Eve. God had given Abel to Adam and Eve. And it was their responsibility. They were made as his creatures to offer him worship. He is greater, they're lesser. And so Cain brings some of what 
his profession yields. He, he brings fruit. He brings fruit from the ground. We're not told exactly what it is. As an offering, as a sacrifice. Likewise, his brother Abel comes and brings the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. So both brothers are, 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 are offering what their hands have worked. And yet we see the Lord had regard for the offering of Abel. But for Cain, he did not regard it. That is, he did not have favor. He did not accept it. It was not an acceptable offering in his sight. We're not given a whole lot of explanation of of why this is the case, but it's actually really important. It's a it's it's one of the most critical questions you can ask of these verses. Why did God not accept the offering of Cain? Was it that God prefers meat? Uh, you know, God's not really a vegetarian, and so so He preferred uh, the sheep. No. No, there's, there's a little word here that gives us a key to understanding why Cain's worship was not acceptable. We see that Abel brought of the firstborn. The firstborn, the, the very first, the very first sheep that, that, that he raised up, he offered to the Lord. And this word for fir- firstborn often also means the, the very best, the first, the best. He offered the best that he could bring to the Lord. It may not be the case that more sheep would grow up to maturity. So this, this act of Abel was, was sacrificial in the fullest sense. Rather, we read with Cain that this is fruit of the ground. This is some fruit. It was an offering, but it was not the very best. It was not an offering that was meant to honor the greatness uh, and the goodness of God. It's, it appears to be that this was just some fruit. We see this is why the Lord does not regard his sacrifice. What, what's going on here? As, as I keyed you into before, sin is first about worship before it's about morality. And what we see here with Cain is a failure to worship from the heart. The heart is that internal part of you. It's not just the emotions It's the thinking part, it's the feeling part, it's the willing part, the acting part. But it's also that part of you in relationship with God. That's not to say that your body is irrelevant. We we learn in many places that we are body and soul, that we belong to God. But whenever scripture speaks of the heart, it's referring to the orientation of our heart to God. What we call worship. The heart is concerned with worship. And what we see with Cain is that his heart is hard to the Lord. 
We could speculate real deeply about what's going on. It, it does seem like Cain is acting selfishly, holding back the best for himself. We don't really know why. We don't know what was going on in his heart, but we do see that his heart has gone astray. He's not worshiping the Lord from the depths of his being. He is content to worship God externally. And he brought, he brought an offering. God should be happy with that. God should be happy with that. Who cares if I keep back the best for myself? Cain's worship reflects his heart. It's a heart opposed to God. It's a heart that doesn't worship God. Rather, he is worshiping himself. He's elevating himself against God. It's for this reason we see that Cain gets very angry. Cain gets very angry and his face has fallen. He's grieving because God has not showed favor, favor to him, but rather to Abel, this younger brother of his, showing him up. And God now could easily just wipe Cain away, right? He hasn't brought him the worship he deserves. God could smite him on the spot. Maybe, maybe if, if, you, if you were in God's place, that's what you would do. You take Cain down a peg. You're proud. You stand in opposition to me. But what does God do? God warns him. And it's easy to read in God's warning a, 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 an anger or a hostility to, to Cain. But instead, we should see fatherly love being shown in this warning. Cain was very angry. And so the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? Now, when God asks questions like this, it's not because God doesn't know the answer. Just like you, you parents, whenever your kids are angry after you tell them, no, you can't watch TV, and they, they, they say, I'm mad, I'm sad. Why are you mad and sad? God is, is graciously inviting Cain to reflect on, reflect on his heart. Why are you mad? Why is your face fallen? Think about it. Think about it, Cain. Again, we read, If you do well, will you not be accepted? This question that he poses to Cain. Cain, it's not that Cain doesn't know the answer. He's, God is asking this in a way that anticipates Cain knows. Cain knows. He knows that God does justly in all circumstances. God is good and wise and perfect. God never fails to do the right thing. And in asking this question, he invites Cain to consider his goodness. You can see that God understands Cain's heart. Cain is believing the lie that the serpent whispered in his mother's ear. 
Isn't God withholding something good from you? God is withholding from you something that, that would be good and pleasurable. We see here that Cain is buying into that. God invites him to consider, am I not good? Am I not just? Will not you be accepted if you bring the sacrifice that you should bring? We see a a third part of his warning. He said, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. God is calling Cain to think of his heart. And he warns, if things are not going well in your heart, sin is crouching at the door to overtake you. Sin is like a lion or like a, a cheetah or, or some other predator that is hoping that as soon as you walk outside of the door, it can consume you and overtake you and master you. That's what he says, its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Again, echoes back to the garden. Adam was called to rule over the animals, and yet the serpent deceived Adam and became Adam's ruler. At least for those moments there, the serpent ruled over Adam. And, and God is warning Cain, if you do not make things right, if things are not right in your heart, you will be consumed by your sin. You will be utterly lost. What we see God is inviting Cain to do is, is ultimately to repent. Repent, Cain, of your sinful heart. Your heart that fails to worship me as I deserve. Consider my goodness. Consider my greatness. Cain, I deserve your very best. And yet you have withheld from me that which I deserve. Cain, turn, turn back. That's basically what repentance means. We, we, can, we can do a long series on just what does repentance mean, but repentance is turning away from doing that thing which takes us away from God and turning to God. Turn back from your pride. Turn back from your selfishness. Return to me. Offer worship that is pleasing. Lest sin overwhelm you and consume you. We see then that worship, that, that worship is at the heart of, of sin. Cain's failure to, to truly worship God with all that he is leads to what we read in verses 8 through 10. The part that we probably know the best that Cain spoke to his brother leads him out into the field and strikes him down and kills him. And when the Lord comes to Cain to confront him, he asks, Abel, where is your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord 
knows. Abel's blood cries out for justice for what Cain has done. Sin is first about worship before it's about morality. And because of that, because of that, our greatest need is not new behavior. Our greatest need is not new behavior. We easily fall into the trap of thinking, well, you know, maybe if I, if I didn't lie so much or if, if I weren't, weren't stealing these things, that, that, that things would be better. If I was a good person, if I was morally upright, that would be good. That would be the thing that, that we're all looking for. That's what we need. But what this passage reveals to us is that that, that, that moral sin, that moral sin flows from a heart that is bent and corrupted. It's hard. And specifically, it's bent and corrupted against God. It refuses to worship Him in the way that He deserves. And until your heart has been changed, all that you do, all of the good that you do, it is like filthy rags. Parents, have you ever given your toddler a, a, a wash rag that maybe wasn't so clean to wipe off the table? And it just smears all the ketchup and mustard and whatever else is on there all over the table. And as, as much as your, your child might try to wipe it, it gets everywhere. It contaminates everything. What the child needs is, is a new wash rag. That's the, the, the idea with our heart. Our heart is bent against God. And so what we need is a new heart. A heart of faith. That's ultimately what we see with Abel. Incredibly, in Hebrews... The author of Hebrews reflects on the, the reality of Abel's worship and helps us to understand, understand Abel's worship more. We read, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. God commended Abel as righteous. Why? Because as sacrifice was offered in faith. A believing heart is necessary in order that good might come from us. This is the, the teaching of Jesus again and again. Our hearts are like trees that, that produce fruit. And if the tree is good, then it produces good fruit. And if the tree is bad, it produces bad fruit. No amount of, of taking bad fruit off and stapling good fruit on makes it a good tree. Ultimately, that tree needs to be torn out and burned because it's good for nothing besides that, that, that burning. 
The question is, is, is what about our hearts? Because within in us resides the same thing that resided in Cain. That sinfulness that came because of the fall. That guilt, that lack of righteousness, that corrupted nature, that is all ours because of Adam's representation. Not just the sins that we commit, but the heart that is bent. It's all the results of the fall. What, what hope do we have then? If it's not about our behavior, if it's not about our actions, we need a new heart. And that heart comes through the work of Jesus Christ. God promised long ago that he would take away our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. And in Jesus Christ, the, 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 the Savior who came, as we read in 1 Timothy 1, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Because Jesus Christ came to save sinners, He came to give us a new heart. How does He do that? It's by dying and being raised again that Jesus has, has been raised to newness of life and He ascends into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father even now and pours out His Spirit into our hearts that it might be made new. That same resurrection Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that softens our hearts. Just like God did to me 17 years ago when I finally got it. You're a sinner. You need forgiveness. You need cleansing. Each and every person needs the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. That's all of us. What you need is not a new behavior program. You don't need to be more productive. You don't need to gain more self-control by your own effort. What you need is the grace of Jesus Christ to change your heart. That is the thing that will make you right before God. That is the thing that you most desperately need. As John says in 1 John, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus can do this because He died bearing our sins and He was raised to show that the penalty had been fully paid. Our sins were, deserve the wage of death, but Jesus was risen from the grave to show us that we have life and life eternal. If, if only we would believe. If only we would trust Him. We would be forgiven of our sins. We would be worshipers of who worship in spirit and in truth that's what the father is looking for that's why he's redeeming a people for himself 
And tonight, I plead with you, if you have not been reconciled to Christ by trusting in His blood, in trusting in His death, that is the only way you will be good, truly good. That is the only way you will be acceptable because the goodness that you'll have received is not your own, but his, the perfect and acceptable son, the, the better Abel who, who himself offered a better sacrifice than Abel could have offered because he offered himself in his perfection. So friend, if you are not a believer in Christ, trust in him today. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. And for those of you who are in the church, we end up in a place sometimes where we deny this truth functionally that our greatest need is heart change rather than behavior change. Again, I want to make really clear, we, we are still called to live lives of righteousness, but our greatest need is that our heart would be changed, that we would be worshipers of God, that we'd be restored to Him. And yet, functionally, we act as if behavior is enough. Rather than, than coming before God and confessing our sins to Him and asking for His empowering Spirit to, to continue to revive our hearts, we busy ourselves thinking, well, you know, if I can do this thing over here or that thing over there, if, if I can make myself good enough, that's really what God is looking for. You have all you need in Christ. His sacrifice is sufficient. Parents, what are you looking for in your children? Is it just behavior change? Or are you looking to their heart? Are you content with them not smoking, not drinking, not sleeping around? You know, no parking tickets. Are you, are you content with that? Too often we become content with external behavior rather than transformed heart. And you say to me, Pastor Dan, but I can't change their heart. That's right. That's right. Only Jesus can change the heart. But rather than in anger and frustration coming down on your child because of their, their misbehaving, we should be spending so much time in prayer. So many moments asking the Lord to change the heart from which, from which the sinful behavior comes from. And if, if we're not aiming at the heart, we're just teaching our kids to be better sinners. That's not what we're called to aim for. Let's, let's aim much higher. Or I should say, we should aim much deeper to the heart. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Christ has done what we could not. His goodness, His perfection, in place of what we, what we could not do. Let us be satisfied in what satisfies God. Let's not try to add to what Christ has done. 
let us let us aim at where God really aims at our hearts. Let's bring our hearts to him. Ask him to change us, renew us. Ask him to to change our our children, change change our world. He can do it. He is able. Our God is good and faithful, perfect in all he does. Let's put to death our pride and look to him by faith, trusting that he gives and provides all that we need in this life and in the life to come. Amen. Let's go to him now. Our Lord, as we consider this story of Cain and Abel, and as we think about this message that sin is first about our worship before it's about our morality, Lord, please convict us of where we flip the two. Convict us of where we have been, become content with mere external religion, but not with true heart transformation. Father, please be at work in your people that we might continue to die to sin. That we might live under the rule of 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 King Jesus in all of our lives. That we would not subject ourselves to to Satan and the world and, and our flesh. Lord, but that we would honor Christ above all things. Father, may that be true in the ways that we that we interact with you, but also in the ways that we interact with our children, with our neighbors, with our community. May we be praying, Lord, for heart change, for true revival. Lord, and I do pray for those who do not know you. Lord, that they would have a sense of where they truly are. And Lord, that they would feel a godly guilt Not so that they would leave this place burdened to the point of despair, but that they would cry out to you, that they would seek your grace and your mercy to change their hearts. Lord, that they would worship you with all that they are. Lord, we are sinners, this is true, but Jesus came to save sinners such as us. What great news we have in him. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response, not in me.
look up and receive the blessing of your God by faith. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.